Hello, and welcome back to The Five Things. I am Joey Scarillo, uh, he, him, here to bring you a very special conversation this week. Uh, typically, we bring you the latest and greatest in social media, but from time to time, we bring you topics that are impacting social culture. Uh, it is June, and we are excited to bring you a very special conversation around pride. Uh, today, I'm joined by Sebastian Hendra, he, him, and Kate Wolf, she, her, and Sebastian is a writer and strategist born and raised in New York City. He is part of Gray Consulting, Gray's innovation arm, and the author of Historical Homos, the internet's first and only no F's given guide to LGBTQ plus history. And Kate is the founder and CEO of Lupine Creative based in Los Angeles, where she serves as the pack leader on all business. And she comes from a traditional 360 advertising background. And she's worked with many agencies over the years, so she's no stranger to advertising. And Kate is a champion of LGBTQIA plus inclusiveness and the co-chair for Do The Work. Hello, Sebastian. Hello, Kate. Hi. Hello. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, as I sort of mentioned here, we are discussing five things that you should know about Pride. And I think the two of you are wonderful experts, and we're very excited to have you here. So the five things that we uh, will be discussing today are one, queer history before today, two, the importance of representation, three, breakdown of the binary, uh, four, the rise of a new vernacular, and five, what the future looks like. So uh, before I hand it off to Sebastian to get us started, I just want to say that it is my pleasure having you both here today. Um, our listeners will be very interested in your deep knowledge of this topic. And so we are excited to have you both here and chatting with us. So let's get started. Sebastian, why don't you kick us off with the history of pride? Awesome. Um, well, thank you. I love that we're also a, a bi-coastal set of speakers. We're already bi for Pride on this podcast. Um, so on brand. <laughs> so on brand. Um, no, so I, I mean, I have a very um, deep passion and uh, for an interest in queer history, really, that includes Pride, but also goes way beyond it. Um, and I think that's one of the most interesting things about um, queer history this time of year is that it really is all of human history, right? But we tend to focus on the last um, 50 to 60 years of um, the queer and gay liberation movements, um, which is great and important. Um, I'm not sure how many more posts about Marsha P. Johnson we can all see on um, Instagram <laughs> necessarily um, and, and still learn something new. But um, what, I, what I was thinking about in preparation for this is sort of the, the history of queer as a concept and as a word. Um, it's obviously a word that has uh, a lot of pejorative connotations for um, gay men historically. Um, but it's also, it was, you know, recently reclaimed um, in the fields of queer theory and, and queer studies to really describe not just people, but a movement um, and a culture that challenges prescribed norms around sex and gender. And I think that's the most amazing development in recent history in terms of our community, because queer is not just a way of being, it's, it's a way of thinking. 
Um, and that's a really big difference to, um, you know, the, the sort of early history of homosexual versus heterosexual. That was the original binary that was set up in the 19th century by a bunch of white European men, who most of whom were not queer. Um, and it, it was all done in the service of sort of classifying sexuality um, and, and mostly so that it could be treated, right? Um, uh, because it was seen as a sort of pathological type. Um, and, and that's what that was the original binary um, that I think a lot of us react to today and are sort of pissed off about, right? A lot of us feel that we're put in these boxes um, that and, and terms that don't really define us. Um, so queer as a as a word, as an umbrella word that describes, that pulls together all of these different identities um, and challenges those norms and that history, um, I think is a really interesting uh, recent development that we have to be thinking about more and more. Now, and more people are joining that movement, right? More allies are joining that movement. Um, you see that in the way that more people are adopting, um, you know, the, the practice of sharing their pronouns. You see it even in the number of straight people watching RuPaul's Drag Race. I mean, the, the mainstreamification of, of queer culture um, is, in, is directly related to that sort of expansion of queer. Um, so that's what I think about when I think of the history of queer. I mean, I don't think I need to give you a, a history lesson of, of pride um, <laughs> on this podcast because we're talking about things that are um, really impacting culture um, at large. Um, but I think that's something that we should be thinking about this month is sort of how that um, how that term has evolved in very recent history um, to, to embrace a movement that is all about challenging the sex, gender, um, and, and, you know, more widely political status quo. Um, it's, it's one of the reasons that people sort of imagine radical revolutionary people when they think of the term queer, I think, you know, they, they look a certain way in the mind's eye, but actually it's a very, um, diverse movement, I would say. Um, and it, it's really challenging some of the most fundamental things in our society, like marriage, family, sex, community, identity, you know, all of these things that impact all of us. Yeah, I completely agree, um, Sebastian. I, just to, to jump in there, I mean, one thing that I, I always say is that there's as many ways to be gay as there are gay people, and there are a lot yeah. of gay people. So <laughs> I, I, I always remind myself of that. And I love, I love pride, and I love the term pride, and I love the month of June, but I'm a, I'm a true believer that pride is every day because pride is, in fact, in, in its ethos and birth of protest. And looking at, you know, how we celebrate now, it feels more celebration than protest. And, you know, thank the powers above for that. I mean, th that it's there's a joyousness that comes with the queer community and exuberance that is palpable and exciting and fun and colorful and fabulous. And those are things that have definitely, um, in all the right ways, marked our community. And, you know, there are also catch 22s with that, which you get stereotyped and, you know, it becomes, um, I feel like sometimes people lose sight of what the actual issues around pride are. You know, as we look at pride now, I mean, I, I was just saying this, but like it has been less than one year, less than one year today since we as a homosexual and LGBTQI community cannot lose our place of employment federally because of being who we are. And like, 
I try to remind people that because, you know, we have come so far, but we have so much farther to go. And that is one of the reasons why, like, you know, no matter how frustrated I can get on a personal level with pride and some of the uh, stereotypes and stigmas that come with it, I remind and ground myself constantly that, like, no, this is a protest and we have things to do. We have to get some work done. Um, so, you know, yeah. And so, so that, that for me is like, I always, you know, especially like, and I know this is a marketing thing. So we're all marketers. We all work in the industry. Um, I think about the code switch and covering that I've had to do in my own career coming up. I don't know. I'm sure you can relate to that, Sebastian. Like, have you, I mean, I, I would don cute sunflower dresses and head right on into Hill Holiday, take notes in a conference room, talk about my exist, non-existing boyfriend. I mean, it was a lot. And I think about like, you know, it is lucky that I have the career I have today because I surely wasn't focused entirely on work back then. I was focused on working my my way out of that closet. So, um, you know, I, I don't know if you've had any experiences with that, Sebastian. Have you, was there a lot of code switching covering for you back back in the day? You know, it, I, I've been pretty privileged in that regard, I think, especially since I've always worked in um, marketing um, where it's uh, all the gays are here. So um, it's it's uh, at, at least in recent years, um, it, it hasn't been a huge problem. It, it, there's been a sort of flip um, effect, though, for me in some jobs where I worked for a gay um, boss and my colleagues sort of saw that as a special relationship that I had with him. Um, that gave me certain, you know, privileges or, um, you know, uh, created a certain dynamic that they couldn't access, which I always thought was super interesting and sort of made me feel bad in a way because I was like, um, actually, I'm just smart and funny. Like, he just likes me for that reason, not because I'm gay. Um, so, I, you know, it, I guess it, it hasn't, I, I definitely experienced that when going in for interviews and other, um, I, for one very dull and desperate period in my life, I thought I wanted to be a management consultant. Um, so going into those interviews, certainly you have to put a different face on, I think, but I've been pretty fortunate. Um, and if anything, it's, it's you know, that kind of <laughs> paranoia, that straight paranoia of like all the gays are working together um, that I experienced, um, which is a weird one. You know, you know, it's funny you say that because like it's such a, again, catch 22. It's like, yeah, there's a network that happens in any micro community, of course. But you know what? There's a really big straight network. It's called the Old Boys Club, right. and it, it is much larger than the entire queer community. So, like, um, take that springboard. Enjoy the ride. That's what I would say. Uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I mean, it's important. And, you know, I also think, you know, how lucky that you had a queer boss. I mean, I would do anything to have a queer boss back, back when I was younger. Um, all the women I reported into were step 30. Really? I, you know, starting as an account. Yeah. You know, you don't know, no, no um, shade to that, you know, make the roast chicken and have the great life. Um, but, but for me, I, it just, I, it was so hard to like relate uh, and then open up. I felt like, you know, for the, for the majority of my junior level and mid-level career, I was a version of myself at work and a version of myself in mm. life. And those were very, they were contrasted. They were very different people. Um, and actually, you know, it took me a long time as now the head of a company, it took me a long time to tear down those walls because 
I think the things that make me who I am were the things I was hiding at work for so long. And they're they actually make me likable because otherwise I can just be a stone cold bee. So like, <laughs> so, you know, tearing down those walls really helped and letting my queerness shine through, I think is, uh, was definitely a lesson, definitely something I would tell my younger self, like just be yourself girl. Cause otherwise, you're going to come off like a, like a monster. <laughs> I love that. Thank, thank God I'm queer so that people don't realize what a bitch I am. Um. Exactly, right? Like, it's such a nice cover. Uh, you have, I mean, you, you're just born into sass. I feel yeah, like, no, and actually, know? I and and comedy exactly. I like I have used that definitely to, and I only became comfortable with it after a few years, I think. But like, even presenting to clients and stuff, and you know, like in our industry, you really need to sparkle in one way or another. You know, when when you're trying to convince clients of the value of a certain idea, so I definitely learned to lean into that um, after a couple of years of working. And I guess like part of that was, you know. I think I grew up kind of in the last generation where being gay was still like not cool on the playground, you know, like I vividly remember in, in the nineties at some point being called a wuss um, and later the F word um, and like how, you know, damage, like how shaming that was um, and how afraid we all were of, of being classified as either um, wuss being particularly absurd. Um, <laughs> but then, you know, like, and not to will and grace the, the discussion, but like it, representation in, in media did start to change, you know, and like Jack McFarland on Will and Grace was like the star of the show because he was unabashedly um, gay, you know, unabashedly sassy, always had the always had the clap back, you know, and um, I think that did kind of change what I thought. I actually didn't know that many gay men in my personal or family life. Um, so that did start to change, like how I thought about, um, being a gay man in the world, um, and how you could weaponize it almost, you know, to your own advantage. A hundred percent, you know, representation is like one of the most important things. I talk about that quite a lot with Graham Nolan, my co-chair of do the work, um, who I believe you all know and have been on this podcast. He's fabulous. Um, and we talk a lot about that. There's actually a recent study that just came out um, from uh, um, Gallup that basically said 48% of people that are exposed to any kind of media, advertising to entertainment, um, that hero or have centralized LGBTQIA characters are, are more likely than ever to be accepting of that of that community. And that's huge. That's up from 35% in the year before, 35 wow. to 48, huge. And, and, you know, and we're in a time now where pop culture, you know, is in queer is in the zeitgeist. We're there. We are, we're, look at the shows that are coming out with like Pose and It's a Sin and Veneno. These are like amazing, unbelievably queer focused narratives that are unabashedly themselves that for Veneno, I don't know if you've ever seen Veneno, but hot plug there. Uh, if you can read subtitles, it's a hundred percent worth your time. It might be some of the best television I've ever seen. And I work in television. Um, it is, it is so beautiful to watch. And then you think, wow, we're really having a moment. And then you'd see that we only make up only 10% of characters at, the, at its high in 2020, 10%. Mm had centralized recurring one LGBT character, 10%. Uh, it's dropped to nine in 2021 due to the pandemic because they just haven't been shooting as much. But I hope that that will keep climbing, Yeah, you know? 
but really, yeah, I mean, uh, what are your favorite shows right no, now? I mean, I was you're just watching, gonna, that you're seeing great stuff. Sorry, I, I was just going to say um, that it makes me think of the the disclosure documentary on Netflix, which is all about um, trans representation in media. And I thought they had like the killer insight in that is that most people in the world in a mass market see diversity or see non-normative identities in media, right? They don't actually meet them IRL. Like, so mm -hmm. that's why it's so critical to have these representations because, and, and you know, the, the whole narrative in that documentary was trans people for most Americans from the beginning of the 20th century onward were either depicted as monsters, um, deviants, the punchline of a joke, Sex workers, or, or very, or very yep. often corpses of of sex workers, right? On shows like Law and Order, or like mm -hmm. CSI, um, and and so of of course people would be, you know, would have um, adverse reactions to trans people if those were the only um, if those were the only representations that they saw. Um, and I think that's such an interesting insight, and and it's tied in also to um, social media now, you know, and how we get people who are maybe in their echo chambers. But if you're following conversations that are trending on Twitter, or if you're on Instagram, like chances are you're going to run into someone who's different from you. Right. Um, and I think like mm -hmm. a, a good example there is the intersex community, right. Which I think even for a lot of queer people is just not something that we're introduced to very easily. Um, not something that's talked about very frequently. And so it always remains a sort of theoretical discussion for people. Right. But on social media, you have, the yeah. ability to see the human face behind these identity markers. And I think that really changes um, how we engage with these um, these debate, these conversations um, to, to be able to see human, actual human beings telling their own stories and controlling their own narratives. Um, but I, in terms of my favorite show right now, I was blown away by um, It's a Sin. Um, and I haven't, I'm, I'm a bad gay, I haven't gotten to Veneno yet, but um, I thought It's a Sin was so great because it wasn't all doom and gloom. You know, there was so much joy in that story. And I, uh, you know, I think growing up, I also saw a lot of representations of um, queer history and gay people that were very sad, that were very like, you know, either you're being repressed or oppressed or um, they were, it was, it would be about the AIDS epidemic, which of course is, you know, an issue we need to engage with. But again, it's like, there was no joy in it. Um, and, and, and that's actually mm -hmm. part of the reason I, I started historical homos, um, was to have a, create a different narrative around, um, people in history, queer people in history, because it hasn't all been bad. There's been a lot of bad, but there's been a lot of incredible people um, who also just happen to be queer. Um, and uh, yeah. and so anyway, I, I just loved that about that show that I was like laughing and crying the whole way through at the same time. Yeah, you know, it's amazing. And I think you just nailed it. It's they just so happen to be queer is such a really fascinating thought, right? Like, I don't know if you've seen I Care A Lot, yes. but it is a, a story. Yes, right. It's a story about a woman that is a terrible person, an absolute monster of a human being who also happens to be queer. And it is not part of her storyline. She's not demonized for being queer. She just is really hot and dating a really hot lady. And it is amazing to watch, but also she's a terrible person and she's defrauding all of these very old, very lovely people. It is an awesome depiction of queerness because it isn't the forefront. 
It isn't a coming out story where somebody's bereaved. It isn't, it isn't entertainment telling the story of a bereaved father trying to get over the death of his gay son. Right. Like, can we move on from that narrative, please? You know? Um, so, like, I just, it's just the right movement. It's happening in the right way where, like, it's not just, it's not defining. It is just an Totally. It, it reminds me of that movie, uh, The Happiest Season, I think it was called, with, with Kristen Stewart. Mm -hmm. And I watched it and I was just like, this is so toxic. Like, I, I mean, I don't know how you felt watching it, but I was just like, in what world is this? I, I guess it still happens. I, I'm sure it happens. But like, in what world would Kristen Stewart stay with that incredibly horrible, toxic girlfriend who's like hiding her from her, exactly. from her family the entire time? And I was like, this is not the moment like to have this narrative. Like, I thought that was such a weird script. It, it was a very weird script. And it was also so hyped because like, she's part of the queen hive, you know, it's like, oh, come on. Like, I was so disappointed when people just ask me, I give the same review across the board of that, which is triggering. <laughs> Only word you need. Um, it's, you know, and I think that's like, you know, as we get into this place where we look at entertainment, we look at visibility, we look at representation, we look at how brands are showing up in the space, how, you know, a couple of years ago in 2019, Hallmark pulled that ad with the two women getting married. Just think about yeah. that. Like that was two years ago. It's nuts. Right. And, you know, so so if you look at that and like, look where we're going, what I'm most excited to see now as we kind of get into this. And I hate the term normalizing because like it implies otherness, but there is no other way to describe it. Like the deconstruction of the binary, like what are we looking at in terms of gender constructs? How are we looking at gender? How are we casting people? How are we telling these narratives uh, for brands? What does the new, uh, what, like, you know, what does the modern family look like? Not modern family from 2004, modern family from 2021, you know? Yeah. And, and I think that's, I think we're getting into this place where, you know, gender is just complex and dynamic and we just need to get more comfortable with the breadth of identities. And I think that is happening over time. The way sexuality is being treated now in entertainment. I hope in the next five years, we're going to have a run on, we're going to have a run on gender. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, and I think it's actually connected to the, the representation question, right? Because, you know, this is something mm -hmm. that kind of does need to be force fed to people. I think, you know, um, they do kind of need to see rather than it just being subsumed into um, in, into narratives. We have to have like, on the other hand, I, like I just watched that movie Together Together, um, which which with Ed Helms, where um, a trans actress, um, Patty Harrison, is playing a um, surrogate mother, right? And it's just seamless. It's like, there's no mention of it. There's no like question whatsoever. Um, so that's more of a, I, I guess that's more of the, uh, let's just subsume it into the into the narrative and not make, make a big deal out of it. But I think honestly, like the deconstruction of the binary is complicated for a lot of it. Like it is not, it, it's not mm -hmm. simple thinking, you know? I think a lot of people get, a lot of straight people, a lot of cis people, get um kind of you know insulted by the because the, it's like why don't you get it you know but it, it it is complicated it's a it's a complicated theoretical discussion for some people um and i think we have to yeah. we have to have a little bit of empathy for that um and even within the queer community we're not all aligned right i mean with like 
um, with with, trans, with turfs and and everything like that, with J.K. Rowling and her bullshit. You know, like yeah, turf, no turfs and right. swerfs, no turfs. I mean, and it's it's not something that like the the queer community is all um, hunky dory with. It's it's complicated. So I think that's that. I completely agree with you that we need like a push on that. You know, a push on on gender, um, and and it's happening, and it's also being driven by young people, right, who just do not see it as um, a a difficult conversation because they've grown up in a in a different climate. Um, so that's also interesting to think about is, is how they're that younger generation, the Gen Z's and whoever comes after them, we've run out of letters. Um, you know, how, how they're making it, um, a different discussion because it's so natural to them. And even I would say in the horrific marketing way, aspirational, you know, like gender fluid clothing is an aspirational buy, I think for a lot of um, for a lot of people now. So that's fascinating in the way that it becomes almost a, a, a valuable, uh, a, a differently valued um, concept, right? As, as it becomes more accepted and more mainstream within the culture. Yeah, totally. I think one of the things that I talk about, and you're totally right, the queer community, one, is one of the, the queer community is um, extremely diverse both in age, race, but sex, gender, and then subgroups, because we are an, we are a catch-all for other that falls within, you know, identity. Yeah. And I think I think that creates some important but real tension, you know, that we need to address. And I think the way we do that is through open conversation and creating what we call brave, what, what, like at the, do, at do the work, we call them brave spaces. Um, because safe implies that you have to be scared of something to join it, you know? Um, but really brave space is, is a place where you can actually have real conversations and give real education. And there are no stupid questions because there is such a lack of education. They still in more than 50%, way more than 50%. I think it's like 75%. I have to look up that stat. We'll of course correct it at the end of this podcast. Um, but uh, they don't teach sex education for LGBTQIA in high school. They just, they just omit it, just not in there. So if you are a queer child, kid, trying to learn about themselves and how to behave and identity, and you have no information at your disposal, you're gonna Brene Brown stitch a narrative that is not there, right? So when that happens, as an adult, you start to believe the things that you conjure up yourself. And then when you get new information, it's almost like an affront to the information that you've been relying on for so long. And so making these brave spaces where adults can talk about things and actually show, be vulnerable in that space and say, hey, I genuinely don't know. One thing that I talk about a lot, especially with all of my cis friends, is explaining pronouns. Because cis, trans, they matter because by every person saying their pronouns and by every person, like in your email, in your text, in, in any, any visual element, and when you introduce yourself, what you're actually doing is you're equaling the playing field. Because systematically and socially right now, there is straight and there is other. And if you are other, you have to qualify why you're other. That is actually the whole reason around disclosure, the thing that I took away from that documentary. And by the way, Laverne Cox, you are a golden goddess. Um, like a golden goddess, you are unbelievable. Um, the one big thing that I took away from that 
that beautiful piece of art was one, we have so much further to go. And two, the name alone of disclosure implies that some you owe somebody to tell them who you are. As though you, it is you, if you do not do that, you are misleading them. And that is a level of systemic and systematic gender oppression that is truly palpable. So when you look at things like that and you talk to your friends about it and you say, hey, you know, cis matters because what you're actually doing is you're just qualifying yourself so somebody else that isn't cis doesn't feel so obligated to qualify themselves or feels safer to uh, to identify. Right. Because otherwise, you know, otherwise you're just saying, well, I'm normal and you're not. Right. And who, and sorry, yeah, sorry. I just wanted to jump in because uh, like language, you know, is so interesting because it's always evolving, you know, and this is, this is a point of evolution in our vernacular, in our, in our language. It's the most natural thing that humans do is change like their, the words they use and how they use them, um, to, to keep up with the changes in their societies. So I, I mean, the, the, the sort of cis and predominantly straight, sometimes, um, gay panic about like what it means to do that i just find so ridiculous um but the other side of it is like you know who knows how long it will stay this way even you know um because i mean what you're describing is sort of like if we're all disclosing then none of us is disclosing right but maybe we're going to get to a point where the idea of disclosure doesn't even like register right because um we will evolve a different um vernacular to suit that um so that sort of social norm. So, I mean, I, I and actually, I, you know, I was thinking about language and I, I, it's not just pronouns, but like coming out as a, as a concept and, and mm -hmm. as language as well. Um, when I was growing up, coming out was not like an option, you know, it was like an imperative. If you're gay, you have to come out, you have to tell people, right? Otherwise, are you even gay? You know, and that's being challenged now as well, because who says we have to come out? Who says coming out is valuable or makes you official or, um, you know, for some people, it's it's not safe to come out. For some people, it doesn't work within their um, their world. Um, for some people, it's traumatic, you know, full stop. So I, I, I just think that's a, that's another sort of place where language is changing because, you know, we have like National Coming Out Day which is just some invented hashtag. Um, but whenever it happens now, everyone online is like, um, I, I don't feel that I need to come out. Like, you know, or coming out was actually incredibly traumatic for me. So it shouldn't all be like, a, you know, smiley, happy um, celebration day. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's really critical as well. You know, that's part of what being queer is, right? Is, in, is interrogating and criticizing these um, th these aspects of our identity and how they intersect with society. I mean, that's why it's difficult to understand. And that's why I think personally, you know, my, my feeling is I'm happy to educate people. I'm happy to like have that discussion to the extent that I can. That's not right for everybody, but like I, I, I find joy in that. Um, and I, I think it is part of why, you know, like, when we're thinking about what does the future look like for pride, like pride is such a weird word for a lot of young people, I think, because we're like, well, what do you mean we're proud? Like, well, I'm not proud of being blonde, you know? I'm, I'm like, I'm not proud of being gay. It's just a facet of who I am, you know? 
Um, and actually, it's much more complicated than just simple than mere pride. You know, I, 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 I don't always feel great about my identity as a queer person. Sometimes it depresses me. Sometimes it gives me anxiety. Um, and I think, you know, it, sometimes it gives me great joy as well. Um, but I think that is one of the most um, interesting thing that, things that's going to happen now with Pride as it um, evolves over time is that it has to work for this community that is also evolving, right? And whose identities are not mm -hmm. just fixed. Even the words gay, you know, lesbian, bisexual, they're not fixed. We, we think of them as fixed categories, but they're always changing. Um, and the same thing with, with the language around gender. Yeah, completely. You know, it's, I, I, for the podcast, since it's not a visual medium, I always say about coming out, people ask me, oh, when did you come out? And I say, today, how many times? <laughs> what, what is the question here? Because, because she's got long hair and it's very confusing for others. Right. Um, you know, I, I, <laughs> which is so silly. So, I mean, I, my friends make fun of me relentlessly because I think one of the first things that'll come out of my mouth when I meet you is I will tell you about my wife. And I will do that one because she's amazing and I'm very lucky. And two, because I want you to know I am really <laughs> queer. Like, I want you to know that like deep down, the gayest thing about me is my wife. And I am proud of that. Um, but I do, I do have to constantly remind people that like, this is, this is part of me. This is like, you know, and, and I, I am very easily passing. And so I like, unless, uh, honestly, my wife says the joke in our family is I'm very easily passing until I walk <laughs> or talk. Um, but, but that's okay. We're living with it. So I, you know, I think that, I think I totally agree with you on national coming out day. And, and the, the thing you just touched on about pride and the term pride and having it not resonate, I think sometimes we have to stop looking at the subgroups of age and struggle and look at the collective group. I think proudness and pride mean a lot to the collective, but maybe don't resonate so much with the, the real struggle of the day-to-day -day in today's society for a younger generation, for sure. And... I think that there's also tension between the age, ages of the queer community because, you know, as, any, as everyone knows, there is a gap of volume of people from the queer male side of the world, right? Um, for anybody from the 80s, 80s and 90s, we lost a ton of, ton of very beautiful, bright, young men. And you feel that in that age group. Go to P-Town, go to Fire Island. Check out the people that are 55 and see how many are at the bar, yeah. you know, and that's an, that's, a, that's an important thing that people miss a lot. And so then we get tension because it wasn't easy. It was hard. It wasn't, it was, and it's not easy now either. It's just maybe question mark easier mm. and definitely easier to find more representation and more modeling and more people and more access, you know, because if you were a queer person in 1930, I mean, you were having a tough time. I look at, I mean, please, and this is a call to the universe, please stop making us lesbian films about women that just look at each other in the distance across the field. Just please stop making them. We have enough. We understand that longing is real and that, and that women long for other women and like petticoats look constricted. But like, I, I think, I think, I think 
entertainment is touching on that because they're trying to show struggle without showing violence. Right. You know, and without and 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 to act on your queerness back then was a level of brave that I surely mm. don't have. And so, like, I think about that when I get frustrated with the pride thing, because there is an aggressive amount of rainbow washing that happens. Uh, I actually work with brands and help them get into pride. And even sometimes I'll be like, is this right? Should we be doing this? Is this leaving impact? Are we staying in the community beyond June? Are we just trying to sell sneakers? Like, I don't want to be a part of those campaigns because, you know, rainbows are colorful, but those are for four-year-old girls. So like, that's not what this mission is. This, this message is unity and celebration and colorfulness. Right. Um, but I try to remind myself to not get so bogged down in, in the frustrations and the stereotypes and remember that, you know, it's still a protest. We still have a long ways to go. And like, if that's somebody's way to self-express, great. My way to self-express and pride is I find a dark corner in a pub I sit there and I drink five or six beers. I wear a very ugly coat and I watch a parade. You know, it. I probably I look more like Mayor from East Town than I do from you know, than I do that like it's a sin. Roscoe from it's a sin. But you know that that's sounds okay. awesome. You know, to that each sounds yourself, awesome. Right? No, that's yeah. such a good. I did. I did see a great meme today. That's I'm pulling directly from like a Pride in my twenties to Pride today in my like late thirties, and it was like Mayor from East Town and like Kate Winslet like going into like half naked into a party, and I was like, this is the most accurate meme I've ever seen. <laughs> oh my god, no, that's such a good point though. Like if if we don't understand the history and if we don't keep it alive, then we don't understand what Pride is today and also where it's going. Um, and I think it's only mm-hmm. like you said, it's only additive. You know, it's like. Uh, who like it's great that we have this month that is dedicated to to this celebration to this protest and to this history but i i guess the other the other side of that also is that we in the community are doing pride all year round just like you said at the top, at, at the beginning you know you're like every day is pride i mean lgbtq plus history month is not during pride month Right, it's in October in the U.S. and it's in uh, February in the U.K. Where all the all the documentaries and the films that we've been talking about today, those are on display in media all year round. So I think while Pride is going to keep uh, it, it will keep its status as this peaceful protest uh, with a history of you know uh, Pride being a riot um, and also Pride being a party. Like I I, I think partying is a protest in, in some senses uh, because it allows us to express that joy and that freedom in, in the face of um, discrimination. But at, at the same time, you know, we're evolving. Like Pride is happening all the time. And it's not only happening in the hands of these um, uh, of these privileged few who are controlling what Pride is, who pays for it, who makes money off of it. Um, and you know, the rainbow washing stuff that you mentioned, like, I think people are pretty wise to it now. And it's sort of like, fine, mm-hmm. go ahead and do it. It's, it's sort of like, I think mostly what it does is make pride sort of apolitical and therefore more palatable, um, to, to the masses. Um, but we're still going to be here in the community having these discussions year round and, and, you know, forcing the media to portray them um, every day. So I, I, yeah, it's additive. Um, but I think it has to, we, we have to be more fluid with our concept of, of pride, you know, just as we're becoming more fluid with our ideas of gender and identity, 
Um, this is this is not a month long celebration. This is one shining light um, in a year long effort uh, to to make sure that marginalized communities and their needs are represented and served. Totally agree, a hundred percent. And I think that's like you know, in terms of the future, like what does pride look like as we move forward and things like that. I think the the, the moment is going to be shaped by the generation. The, the Gen Z generation, just knowing like one in six of them is identifying as queer. That's like 12% of their population. And they're the largest, they're the largest demographic of all time. They are the hope. They're, they're the silver lining of the very aggressive cloud that loomed over us for the last four years. Um, you know, I, I, I look forward to seeing how they adjust our like queer vernacular or even like, honestly, just the global the global vernacular of how we treat each other and language mm. and how we identify, you know, where they take, where they, where, because they're, they're the largest generation, they're going to have incredible spend power in the, in the economy. Like, and as we all, well, the U S at least money talks, we can all do the chit, chit, chat, 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 but it, it doesn't mean anything unless there's money there. It's the same reason why I would never tell a brand to just make an ad campaign. You got to put money down in the community. You have to show up and make structure and stay. You got to put your fingerprints and DNA in there. And then you got to walk away and let them do what they need. Like that, and that, this generation, Generation Z, this is the one that's going to demand it. And I can't wait to watch it. Super excited about it. To the future. Yes, to the future. To the future. Indeed. Wow. Um, those, those transitions were seamless. That was beautiful. Um, what a great conversation. Um, I, I, there was a lot to take in there. Um, you know, I was thinking a little, uh, I was thinking about that, uh, movie that you, you discussed, I care a lot. And I loved, you know, that conversation because there's, there is so much nuance in that movie that, um, that, that I noticed and, and hadn't actually heard anybody really talk about. So that was great to, to hear you talk about that. And, you know, I love that what you were saying about National Coming Out Day and how, you know, it might not be appropriate for everyone to come out and comfortable for everyone to come out. That's a piece of the equation that, you know, as a straight person, I had never uh, fully um, understood. So that was awesome. And and obviously the conversation around pronouns is great too, because we, um, you know, on our last podcast, we talked about how Instagram and LinkedIn were adding pronouns to their um, platforms. And, you know, we were all very excited for the platforms that are doing that. And I think, you know, for all the reasons that you said, um, is, is wonderful. I, I personally put my pronouns on all of my socials probably about a year ago, even. And for that exact reason that it, you know, elevates everybody, um, and is just inclusive. And so, uh, so I guess just to sort of wrap it up, I just want to say Kate and Sebastian, thank you so much. Is there anything you want to talk about uh, Sebastian with the book or Kate with do the work that you, that you want to let our listeners know about? Well, you can follow us on Instagram <laughs> at historical.homos. Um, I mean, the, we started this project. I, I started it with my sister who is, um, very openly straight, um, but <laughs> still allowed to be a part of the project. Um, and it was all, it, it was started because I realized there was no like centralized platform that was collecting information about queer people in history. Like there are lots of little pockets, lots of academic, you know, books written, um, that only 
that, that just gather dust in university libraries around the world. Um, so it's, it's the whole mission is to make queer history more accessible, more fun, a little bit of sass and comedy like we were talking about before. Um, and uh, we're launching it actually as our, as our own podcast this year. So stay tuned for that. And our book is full of pictures, so it'll be easy for people who don't like to read long books. Um, and yeah, just follow us and you can um, look at the book also on our website, um, historicalhomos.com. But there are other um, queer artists um, and vendors that you can support. I think that's such an amazing way, such a great antidote to the, the rainbow washing, rainbow capitalism um, world that we live in during Pride. So um you know, I don't know how I could get them to you, but follow us on Historical Homos on Instagram. And I'm posting queer artists every day um, to promote uh, some of the incredible people I follow. Um, and yeah, please support them. Excellent. Kate? Great. And yeah, I just want to tell you a little bit about Do the Work. Do the Work is a queer um, grassroots organization and creative community and platform. It's basically a giant network of fabulous people. Um, and we empower the ad industry and marketers alike to inspire, reward, and celebrate queer creativity in marketing and advertising around, you know, both making ads and within culture. Um, we know that active inclusion of queer talent will unleash untapped potential and actually drive real business advantage. So we are always looking for people to be truly themselves because when that happens, everybody wins. Um, so we, we check it out at Do The Work, and that's W-E-R-Q, what, uh, dot com. So do the work. Uh, for more information on that. And then if you're looking for some fun content over Pride, um, Lupine Creative has been working with HBO um, Max on Human by Orientation, which is their LGBTQIA platform on Instagram and Twitter. And it is fabulous. And we'll be running a whole bunch of content series, including a few stuff with King Princess, uh, Muna, Ravina, um, really, really fun. Soccer Mommy, we have great, great stuff coming out on that platform all month long. Uh, and the team on my end has been tirelessly working on it. So uh, slight plug there, but it is real fun. So check it out. Awesome. Fantastic. So again, thank you, Kate. Thank you, Sebastian. You are welcome back anytime. <laughs> Come join us again. Thank you so much. Thank you. It was a blast. Excellent. So we will, uh, we will have more episodes with our regular uh five things crew kenny and the team and we will have more discussions like this later this summer and if you have any questions concerns comments points of interest complaints whatever you got send them over to podcast at gray.com that's podcast at gray.com and i'll be sure to write a nice response or direct questions to our panelists um, to get you some answers and as always stay safe stay smart and stay social the Five Things are written and researched by Andrew Petty and Grace McDougall. Produced by Joey Scarillo and Danielle Hunt. Mixed at Gramercy Park Studios by Guy Rosemarin with support from post-producer Ned Martin. Additional support by John Jenkinson and Christina Hyde. Gray is a global creative agency whose mission is putting famously effective ideas into the world. Check out more at gray.com. <laughs>